Good morning. Welcome to the 10 o'clock worship sermon. I'm Stephen Azera, the teaching elder of Calvary Baptist Church here in Phillipsburg, Kansas. We are located in north central Kansas, about 30 minutes south of the Nebraska-Kansas line. We are a reformed confessional Baptist church uh, that adheres to the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith as the best interpretation of what we believe the scripture teaches concerning the important doctrines. And that's what we're doing at 10 o'clock. Each week we teach from the confession because we believe it is an excellent summary of what the Bible teaches. And we want to indoctrinate our church and also you who are listening to our teaching ministry online. Thank you for joining us. Um, you are an encouragement. Um, we thank you for listening on YouTube. Our, our many subscribers there, our podcast, um, Spotify, Anchor FM. We are grateful for all of you who listen to our teaching ministry. And it's our, our prayer that you are benefiting. But we also hope that you're involved in a local church. I hope that you're using us as a supplement to what you're receiving in your own local church. And if you're in the area, uh, we would love to have you. Okay, this morning we are going to begin chapter 10. Uh, it is on the subject, Effectual Calling. This is what the confession says in chapter 10, paragraph 1. In God's appointed and acceptable time, he is pleased to call effectually by his word and spirit those he has predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Yet he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willing by his grace. For the next several chapters of the Baptist Confession, which will be equivalent for the next several months, we're going to study the Ordo Salutis. The Ordo Salutis is a Latin phrase that means the order of salvation. And it describes the work that God performs in a sinner's life in order to bring them to salvation. When we think about salvation, we typically think about faith in the gospel, repenting of our sins, believing in Jesus, and that's true. That's a part of salvation, but there's much more that God does to us that on the surface we're unaware of. Most of the work, if not all of it, and, and an argument can be made that all of it's done on the heart, that Christians are almost unaware that these things are taking place 
until we see some kind of visible fruit of their work. And so the Ordo Salutis describes the behind the scenes, if you will, the behind the scenes work that God does to us. I think the most important thing about the Ordo Salutis is that it's God's work alone. Uh, If the work uh, involves any part of salvation, God is doing that work independently of the human will. I'm talking about things like predestination, effectual calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, the perseverance of the saints, glorification. All these things are done by God to the sinner independently of the human will. And I know the popular opinion and what it is, right? That the popular opinion in evangelicalism is that God sees something worthy in humans uh, in order to save them, right? That, That God sees something in us that moves him to want to save us. And and that is completely false. The determining factor of your salvation is not your will. It's not your desire. It is not your decision. The determining factor of whether or not you're saved is God's will. It's God's decision. These things are done independently of human will. They're also done independently of any unforeseen action or circumstance. What I mean by that is the Lord does not look through the corridor of time and see that you would believe if given the opportunity. God doesn't look in the future and say, you know what? I'm going to save Stephen because if I offer Stephen salvation, then he's going to take it. I know, I know that he will. Salvation is independent of unforeseen actions or circumstances. Why does God save sinners? Because of his own will. Because he wants to. Effectual calling, our study today, is a part of God's ordo salutis. It is a work that God accomplishes in his plan of redemption. But here's the thing. Without effectual calling, no man can be saved. Yeah, I know predestination, right? God chooses those whom he wants to save. But that action doesn't save the sinner. God can predestine a million people to salvation, but he still has to save them. He still has to convert them, give them faith, uh, make them believe, convert them, justify them, adopt them. He's got to call them. So predestination, although it is a marvelous work and we all should be grateful for it, predestination doesn't actually save anyone. The process of God saving begins with the actual calling the sinner to salvation. God calling the sinner out of darkness and into light. God calling the sinner out of his state of sin and misery 
into a state of repentance and faith. That's got to happen. Without doing that, predestination is, is pointless, right? It's in, in, in vain. So the sinner's got to come to God. And once he comes to God, God regenerates him. God justifies him. He adopts him into his family. He welcomes him as a son. God converts the sinner. Effectual calling is the beginning of that. And so it's vital to our salvation. God calling us to himself is vital. Before we get into what effectual calling actually is, uh, let's, let's first address some things that effectual calling is not. Effectual calling is not an altar call. The altar call, and we're all familiar with it, was a movement uh, in the late 18th century. Uh, the Methodist Church started it. Uh, at the end of the sermon, the, the preacher would, would beg and plead with the congregants to come forward down the altar and to commit their life to God. The mood was set to manipulate, right? Calming music, begging, piano softly playing. And then once the, the sinner comes down or the congregant comes down and then the preacher gives him instructions, this is what you are to do. They coax them into doing it. And that's why, and, and I experienced this a lot, when, when I was a first a Christian, my church, uh, Pinal Baptist Church in Palaka, Florida, uh, had an evangelist come once a year. His name was Michael Mason. He came from Alabama. And he would preach, you know, a two-week-long revival. And after every sermon, he'd give the altar call, and the same people would always walk that aisle. Every year, they devote themselves. Every single year, they would repent of their sins, and they would, they would commit their life to God, and they would do this every single year because it just it had no effect on them because it was a technique developed by man instead of by God. The altar call does nothing for an individual, does nothing. It not, has no power, it has no effect, it does nothing. But here's the thing, I'm not totally against altar calls because I do believe the scripture teaches that sinners are given the opportunity to repent and to make a public profession of faith. The apostles believed it. In the book of Acts, especially in Acts chapter 3, the apostles John and Peter see a man who's lame sitting at the temple. And, and Peter says, I, I don't have anything to give to you. And, 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 he, and Peter mentions faith in Christ and the man stands up. The crowd is stunned because the man was just paralyzed. And Peter says the faith that is through Jesus gave this man perfect health in the presence of you all. The apostle Paul called men to repentance. All the apostles did. And so I'm not against altar calls if they're not 
if they're done right, if they're not used to persuade people, to coax them. Do I believe that men should be called to repentance? Absolutely. We do that at our church. After every sermon, I, I, I usually give an invitation and said, you know, if, if, if you've never made a profession of faith and after hearing the gospel today that you would want to place your faith in Christ and, 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 and proclaim that in front of the church and to be baptized, let us know. And we've, we've seen that done. People have made those professions of faith. They've been baptized and they're still members of the church. But we know what I'm talking about, the altar call, how the preacher persuades and manipulation. That is not effectual calling. Effectual calling is not also not the same as the general call. The general call is the outward call of men to repentance. It's the outward preaching of the gospel. We, we preach the gospel unto every human. The entire human race should hear the gospel. That's the general call. But me preaching the gospel is powerless by myself. I cannot persuade men to believe the gospel. The general calling is outwardly. It, it only falls upon the ear. But the effectual call, that one's eternal. It's on the inside. It, it goes past the ears, into the mind. It's, it finds its home in the seat of the heart where men embrace it and believe in it, where the life is changed and new creation comes out of that internal call. And so the internal call begins inwardly and it manifests itself outwardly. The general call is just merely outwardly. Every time you share the gospel, every time a missionary shares the gospel, a preacher shares the gospel, you share it with your unbelieving children in hopes that they would believe. That's the general call. But when they actually believe and come to faith and come to repentance, that's the effectual call. Because there, it is effectual. It has an effect. It is powerful. One more thing about the effectual calling. God doesn't call the good, right? Those who come to Christ by faith alone, they're not better than anyone else. Those who God calls were once living in a state of depravity and sin just like everyone else. Just because God chooses specific sinners to call doesn't mean that they have some kind of holiness about them. No, they're dead in their sins. They're like the rest of mankind. Now, as we'll see shortly, God doesn't leave them in a state of sin, but nevertheless, they are depraved like the rest of humanity when God does call them. And that kind of eliminates the popular phrase, come as you are. No, no, that's not true. You, you cannot come to God as you are. You come to God because you are no longer as you are. He changes you. No longer are you in that state of sin and death and misery. But you've been changed. 
the new mind, the new heart, a new will, and you come to God by faith alone. So this come as you are stuff, that's, that's misleading. Misleading at best. At worst, it's a flat out lie. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about effectual calling. According to the Baptist Confession, effectual calling has several aspects about it, several features. According to the Confession, first, the Lord enlightens the mind so that we can understand the things of God. Then the Lord takes away our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And finally, the Lord renews our will. He creates in us a seed of holiness. And that's what effectual calling includes. It includes the enlightening of the mind, the giving of a new heart, and renewing the sinner's will. Now, when we talk about the enlightening of the mind, we're talking about illumination. And since it's the Holy Spirit doing the enlightening, it's called divine illumination. And this is one of the main responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lays the groundwork of faith. He, he engages with the mind so that we can now have a correct understanding of the things of God. Prior to this, we have an incorrect understanding of the things of God. We don't like the things of God. We, we shun them. We, we abuse them. We lie about them. We reject them. We, we hate them. But when the Holy Spirit calls us, he engages and communicates with the sinner's mind. And that mind is renewed now. So the things of God that he used to hate, now he loves. He thinks about them. He meditates on them. His conscience has been seared now. What, what are these things of God that he knows? Well, the gospel. Uh, he begins to hate and despise sin. Um, he understands Christ, the Son of God, the Scripture. He understands sin and death. He can comprehend uh, the things of the Holy Spirit when previously he, he didn't have that understanding. He was ignorant of those things. I don't want to use the word dumb. He was ignorant of those things. But when the Holy Spirit communicates with the mind, that mind becomes enlightened. It becomes illumined. It is like a light now. The light has been turned on in his mind. And as the spirit reveals these things to the mind, the new mind loves them. He is, he just embraces this new knowledge and this new understanding. And he's enlightened. He's a, a brand new creature in his mind. Remember, sinners live in a state of depravity. The mind, with all the other faculties, has been corrupted by sin. The depraved mind is unable to respond to the gospel. It's unable to reason that it needs the gospel. But when the Holy Spirit effectually calls us, and he communicates and engages with the mind, that mind becomes renewed. And now he loves the things of God. He understands, he knows 
Again, it's, it's like being in a dark room and all of a sudden the light comes on. You see everything clearly. What was once darkness is now comprehensible. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And, and these things, he says, are not taught by human wisdom. They're taught to us by the Spirit. And we are allowed to interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The mind uh, becomes um, able to receive the truth about God the truth about the gospel, the truth about who you are. You're a sinner. You hated God. You were his enemy. And now that the mind has been enlightened, you hate that about yourself and you love those things about God. Not only is a sinner's mind renewed, but the Holy Spirit also renews the heart. A brand new heart, that heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. Uh, the heart becomes alive just as well as the mind. Uh, and we're able to believe. Not just know, the, the mind is able to know, but now even the heart, it's able to believe. The heart where the seat of the affections and the desires are, those old desires are gone. And this new heart has with it brand new desires. Right? Just like the mind, the, the heart is corrupted by sin. It's full of sin. It has no desire to love God. It has no desire to obey God. Even if the sinner had the ability, he still didn't have the desire. He had no love for the Lord. His heart was dark. It was empty. But when that Holy Spirit calls you to God, and calls you to salvation through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit awakens that dead heart. And it's no longer a heart of stone. It's a heart of flesh. It's beating. It's alive. And that heart loves the Lord, loves God, embraces God, believes God, believes the scripture. made alive. He's got brand new affections. Brand new desires. He wants to believe. He wants to be saved. He has those desires. He, he now has a desire to obey the law of God when he had no desire before. This is the effectual call. It's effectual. It has power. It produces results. It also produces a new will. Previously, you weren't willing to come. You hated the things of God. But the Holy Spirit gives you a brand new will. You want to now. That will used to be enslaved to sin, but now it's set free. And you're not coming, kicking and screaming. You're not a robot that God's forcing you to come. 
No, he's given you a will. So now, yeah, you freely come by your own will, but that will was given to you. It's a gift. It's a blessing. And it allows you to come to God by faith where God accepts you. And this is why effectual calling is referred to as irresistible grace. It's irresistible because the Holy Spirit has given sinners a will to come. They don't want to resist. Previously, they used to resist. Now, they don't. They want to come. The mind, the heart has been renewed. They see how great God is, how caring and loving and gracious and merciful God is, and they want to come now. And so it is irresistible. The sinner freely comes by his own will, but he also comes on the Lord's terms. He must come with repentance and with faith. And both those are a gift given to this new will, this new heart, and this new mind. Now, there are some who reject irresistible grace. There are those who believe that man is stronger than God, that he can resist. That if God calls you, you can say, no, sorry, it's not for me. Those are the two options that you have. Option number one, either God effectually calls sinners to faith and repentance, or option number two, humans can overrule God in this matter. Which is it? Who's sovereign in this? Can humans obstruct and avoid God's effectual call? Absolutely not. God's calling, his effectual calling, is not like man's, right? If, if I share the gospel with you, yeah, you can reject that gospel. You can reject me calling you to faith and repentance. You can walk away. But I'm not God. If the Holy Spirit's calling you, if the Holy Spirit's reaching out to you and seeking you and finding you, yeah, you're going to come. Again, not kicking and screaming, not against your will, because God has given you the will to come. He's given you that desire to come. It's a, a form of his grace. God's calling is irresistible because he gives humans the desire to obey that call. Listen to these verses and I want you to write them down and look at them later. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. God has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Just hear that? God has saved us and has called us, not because of our own works, because of his own purpose and grace. 
John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will no wise cast out. All that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. Guaranteed. And Christ will not cast you out. He would not reject you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has quickened us together with Christ. That word quicken is the same as enlightened. He has illumined us. He's given us the understanding, the wisdom, the mind to receive and know salvation. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one. That's just right here. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Factual calling. Remember the story of Lydia in, in Acts chapter 16? When the Apostle Paul and his missionary team found her, they preached the gospel to her, and the scripture says the Lord opened her heart to believe. The Bible's clear that those whom God effectually calls will come to him. God will give them a new heart. He'll give them a new mind. He'll give them a will so that the sinner comes freely. He doesn't come kicking and screaming. He doesn't come against his will. He comes willingly and freely because God has given him a new heart. He has given him a new mind and he has given him a new will. And it's now the sinner's desire to come. 